He knows his stuff and sure enough it's shooting the bull with Tom Snow. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull. Today we're going to be finishing up our mini episode of the War of 1812. Alright, so today's episode is going to be more about the land conflicts, some a little bit about the home front, a little bit about diplomacy, and also about enslaved servants and indigenous people. All right, so let's begin. A quick recap. So the War of 1812 was fought between 1812 and 1815, hence the name the War of 1812. Um, again, it was fought by the between the United States of America and the United Kingdom. I, I assume you listened to my previous episode, but if you had not yet, um, there you go. One thing I forgot to mention was that this was the first time Congress actually declared war on another country. In the Revolutionary War, um, it started out as a colonial revolt, so we never actually declared war on the British in the Revolution. The war actually, the Revolutionary War actually began more than a year prior to the Declaration of Independence. So in the very beginning, we, we really had no government to declare war on anything. Also, during the quasi-war, I think I mentioned that this in that episode, America and France never declared war on each other. In the Barbary Pirate Wars, the United States never declared war on the Barbary Pirates. I'm not sure we even recognized them as an actual country. Those, war, those two conflicts were more like military interventions than legitimate wars. The War of 1812, on, on the other hand, was the first time a sitting president, in this case it was James Madison, it was the first time a president asked Congress to declare war on another country. So the War of 1812 is kind of important for that matter. All right, so we talked a lot about the naval conflict in the last episode. So let's talk about the land conflict. I'll, I'll try to keep this pretty brief. Um, in terms of goals, the United States wanted to invade Canada and include it as part of the United States. Uh, American leaders and American politicians were convinced that the people of Canada were just itching to be liberated from Great Britain and become part of the United States. What Americans did not realize was that most people in Canada were the descendants of American loyalists that fled from the United States after the Revolutionary War, which meant that very few of them actually wanted to become part of the United States. It was actually kind of the opposite. They fled the United States because they wanted to, to be remain part of the United Kingdom. So in 1812, in the beginning of the war, the United States launches a two-pronged invasion of Canada, which fails absolutely miserably. In both invasions, the untrained mobs of American militiamen were decisively defeated by well-trained British professional soldiers. After the defeats, the British army, supported by Canadian militia and indigenous people, launched a counterattack and captured the important outpost of, called Fort Detroit in Michigan. Believe it or not, Fort Detroit would become the basis of the modern-day city of, you guessed it, Detroit. In 1813 and 1814, the Americans once again tried to invade Canada in both years, and this time they were slightly more successful. So they won a couple of battles, and in 1813, they managed to burn down the Canadian capital of York. York is now the modern-day city of Toronto, but were unable to hold any of their conquests for a long time. So they might capture a little bit of territory, hold it for about a couple months, and then have to go back to the United States for a variety of reasons. After realizing that the people of Canada did not want to be liberated by the United States, 
the American military leaders decided to just give up on the idea of invading Canada. They realized it was not likely, it's going to be more difficult than they thought it would be, so they just kind of threw in the, threw in the towel. Now, in 1814, there's the war takes an unexpected twist. So, in 1814, in Europe, the British managed to defeat Napoleon and were free to divert all of their attention on America. I think I mentioned this in the last episode when James Madison asked Congress to declare war on Great Britain. He was assuming that Britain would be too occupied fighting the French to really send most of their military over to the United States. Now that Britain and France were at peace and Great Britain could send its vastly superior army and navy over to the United States, James Madison and the United States are, well, pretty much screwed. So in the summer of 1814, a large British army landed on the shores of the Chesapeake Bay with the intent of capturing Washington, D.C. After routing a bunch of American militiamen at the Battle of Bladensburg, the British Army marched into Washington, D.C. and sets fire to the White House and the Capitol building. This would be the largest full-scale attack on the Capitol building until, well, 2021. The British then decided to attack the city of Baltimore, but failed to get past Fort McHenry, which was located outside the city's harbor. It was during the British bombardment of Fort McHenry that a guy by the name of Francis Scott Key wrote a poem called The Star-Spangled Banner which eventually became the national anthem some 100 years later. So when you hear lyrics like the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, those are references to the rockets and cannons and mortar shells that were being lobbed at Fort McHenry. Um, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Francis Scott Key was looking at those, at basically the illumination that those rockets and cannons were making to see that the American flag was still flying over Fort McHenry. Because if Fort McHenry fell, the city of Baltimore would have fallen and now have been a huge blow for the Americans. So the fact that the British could not get past Fort McHenry meant that Baltimore was safe and the British invasion basically kind of fizzled out after that. Uh, I wanna switch gears real quick and talk about Native Americans and enslaved servants. So similar to the American Revolution, the War of 1812 was also a civil war for Native Americans as some indigenous nations fought for the Americans and some fought for the British. Native Americans who sided with the British saw this as their last best chance to stop American expansion, which often involved stealing Native American land through force and or treachery. Native Americans who sided with the United States, on the other hand, hoped that by getting on their good side, the United States government would allow them to live in peace. Spoiler alert, that doesn't really work out very well. So several indigenous nations in the Midwestern United States formed a confederacy under the leadership of a man named Tecumseh. Tecumseh was the chief of the Shawnee Nation and had been resisting American expansion for several years before the war. Tecumseh's Confederacy helped the British defeat the American invasion of Canada in 1812, but was eventually defeated by an American army under future President William Henry Harrison at the Battle of the Thames in 1813. During the Battle of the Thames, Tecumseh was killed and his Confederacy collapsed soon afterwards without their leader. Now, in the southern United States, specifically Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, 
The Creek Nation also sided with the British and began attacking American outposts along the Mississippi River. In response, an American army under General Andrew Jackson, another future president, was sent to defeat the Creek Nation. Among the soldiers in Jackson's army were several Native American warriors whose people had a bone to pick with the Creeks for several generations. So again, this idea of a a civil war between the indigenous nations of or Native Americans living in America. A lot of these people, a lot of these indigenous nations were fighting each other before the United States was even a country or quite frankly, before Europeans arrived in North America. So these European or European American wars were often an opportunity for indigenous nations to settle old scores with each other. So Jackson's American uh, Indian American army defeated the Creeks at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, which resulted in the Creeks having to give up 21 million acres of land to the United States. And just to highlight this, these 21 million acres, the Creeks had been living in the on the, that land for thousands of years before the United States had even existed. So the War of 1812 was also a huge opportunity for enslaved servants seeking their freedom. Enslaved people working on plantations along the southern coast often escaped to British ships serving on the blockade. The British, who already had a more negative outlook on slavery compared to Americans, were happy to take these people in as refugees. Many of these freed Africans even fought alongside the British against their former enslavers. All right, so how does the war end? So the American victory at Fort McHenry combined with their victories on Lake Erie and Lake Champlain that we talked about in the last episode was enough to bring both sides to the negotiating table. So looking at both the perspectives of both sides towards the end of the war, the British had been at war with the French for over 25 years and were desperate for peace. These wars were expensive. They're tired of casualties. They just want to be done with war. While they did manage to burn down the American capital, they did not really conquer anything significant either. So they really hadn't done a lot of great things in the war. The Americans also had failed in their attempt to invade Canada. And now that the Napoleonic Wars were over, they did not have to worry about British warships impressing American seamen. Without the Napoleonic Wars, the British Navy was starting to decommission its ships and lay off many of its own seamen. So they really did not need to impress American seamen at this point. Um, The Americans also had not conquered anything and they managed to turn back a British invasion, albeit one that managed to burn down the Capitol building. But the Americans hadn't conquered or done anything significant either. As a result, both countries sent their top ambassadors to meet in a neutral country, the neutral country was Belgium, where they would hopefully agree to a peace treaty. Among the American diplomats was a guy by the name of John Quincy Adams, the son of former President John Adams and a future president in his own right. So he's the third future president we've seen in this episode. On Christmas Eve of 1814, both parties agreed to sign the Treaty of Ghent, named after Ghent, Belgium, which effectively ended the war. The peace treaty was very, very simple. It basically stated that both sides would stop fighting. Neither side would gain anything. Neither side would lose anything. So in other words, the war was basically a complete tie. 
Now, hold on. So we've signed the peace treaty, but do not turn this podcast off because the biggest battle of the war has yet to come. That's right. So we have the peace treaty, but the biggest battle of the war comes after the peace treaty. And let me explain. In 1814, for those of you who do not know, there was no such thing as email. There's no such thing as TV. There's no cell phones. There's no Twitter. There's no Reddit. There's no Instagram. There's nothing like that. The only way to get news from Europe to the United States was to go on a sailboat. Uh, a sailing ship usually took three months to get from Europe to the United States. So there is a bit of a lag between news coming from Europe to the United States. In early 1815, while the Treaty of Ghent was just right after the, the Treaty of Ghent was signed, the British invaded Louisiana with the intent of capturing the very important city of New Orleans. An American army under the command of, once again, General Andrew Jackson, was hastily assembled to meet the British invasion. This American army was a ragtag collection of different groups of soldiers. So we had professional soldiers of the American army, which we call regulars. We had sailors and Marines of the United States Navy. We had militiamen from Louisiana and Tennessee. We had Native Americans that were allied with the United States. We had um, freed enslaved servants that were freed under the condition that they would fight for the United States. And even a small band of French pirates under the command of a guy named Jean Lafitte. So despite being outnumbered nearly two to one, Jackson and the American army won a surprise victory when the British launched an incredibly careless frontal assault on the American position. The British thought the Americans were a bunch of ragtag amateurs, and instead of doing any good preparation or planning, they simply decided to say, just go after them, let's launch an assault, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, they lost. The battle resulted in over 2,000 British casualties to a mere 62 American casualties. News of the peace treaty brought an end to the New Orleans campaign, and the British army was forced to return to Europe to deal with Napoleon's return from exile, bringing the War of 1812 to an end. Okay, so let's just talk about the home front real quick. So I, I did not do this in the quasi-war or the Barbary Pirate Wars because there really was no home front. Um, it wasn't really that much of a distraction at home. The War of 1812 was. So the war was very controversial from day one in the United States, as people in the North were generally against it, and people in the South and West were generally for it. So the reason for this was because the Northern economy was relying on trade and commerce, and a war with the largest naval power in the world would seriously jeopardize the commerce of the North, and the blockade really destroyed the commerce of the North. And quite frankly, the people in the North really saw no reason to fight with the British. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them were not happy about impressments. The people in the North actually did not really care about adding Canada or the Midwest to the United States. They were kind of fine with the country they had. And they tend to be more pro-British while people in the South and people in the West tend to be more pro-French for some reason. Um, but anyway, in 1814, towards the end of the war, the five New England states held a convention in Hartford, Connecticut, which was creatively referred to as the Hartford Convention. 
The convention called for several changes to the Constitution that would limit the government's ability to wage wars in the future. Some delegates even wished for the New England to secede from the United States and make a separate peace treaty with the United Kingdom, though this was never seriously considered. The convention made a huge mistake. It released its reports and list of demands at the same time that news of the peace treaty and the American victory at the Battle of New Orleans was circulating around the country. This made the New Englanders look very whiny and not very patriotic, haha, prompting Congress and President Madison to simply ignore their list of demands. So let's just wrap it up by going over a few quick points. So the War of 1812 was considered a tie. Neither side got anything, neither side lost anything. It was just a complete wash. It was, it was, many people can make the argument that it was kind of a complete waste of time. Though there were some benefits for the United States, however, as victories such as the Battle of New Orleans and many of the naval victories we, create, we uh, talked about in the last episode, it, this created a sense of national pride that existed until the eve of the Civil War. So the period after the War of 1812 was referred to as the Era of Good Feelings because the United States stood up against a powerful country like Great Britain on its own, and they didn't lose. They didn't win, but they didn't lose, which is impressive. It also helped establish the United States military, which was greatly improved throughout the war. Prior to the war, again, we had a bunch of amateur militiamen and 14 American warships. After the war, we had a large professional American army, or a relatively large professional American army, and a somewhat large, somewhat well-modernized American Navy. America was not a superpower after the War of 1812 by any stretch. It was still probably a second-rate country, or a second-rate power at best, but it was definitely much improved than it was before the War of 1812. Um, also, very importantly, it elevated the careers of John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, William Henry Harrison, and Henry Clay, all of whom would have huge impacts on American politics in the next several decades to come. The War of 1812 is also a big deal in Canada because they see this as their success of repelling an American invasion. So if you ask the people of Canada who won the War of 1812, many of them would say, oh, we did. Well, if you ask many people in the United States, a lot of them would say, oh, we did. So while there is no clear winner in the war, there was a clear loser in the indigenous people of North America. So despite the fact that several <clears throat> Native Americans did side with the United States, the War of 1812 prompted many people in the United States to view all Native Americans as a threat and began to plan for their removal to reservations west of the Mississippi River including many of the Native American indigenous nations that fought for the United States. The Native Americans were too weakened from their casualties in the war to resist American expansion. And finally, without the British allies, many indigenous nations that fought against the United States were forced to sign humiliating treaties that resulted in many of them being forced to relinquish most of their land for basically nothing in return. So very unfair for the indigenous people. And it was a huge tragedy. So that kind of concludes the War of 1812. Next week, I'm going to be talking about another forgotten war. Um, it's called the Seminole War. And it kind of takes off where the War of 1812 
leaves off. It, it basically picks up where the War of 1812 leaves off. So we're going to talk a lot about Andrew Jackson. We're going to talk a lot about Native Americans and how the United States kind of screwed over Native Americans. And also, we're going to find out how the state of Florida became part of the United States in a rather illegal and illegitimate move by the United States. So hope I can't wait to see you next week. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you then. He knows his stuff, and sure enough, it's shooting the 